Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 139, and just for a change, I'm reading it from the Living Bible paraphrase. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit or stand. When far away, you know my every thought. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it. You both precede and follow me and place your hand of blessing on my head. It is too glorious and too wonderful to believe. And so let us come to God in prayer. We pray together. God of yesterday, you were there before any of us was even an idea. You watched as our bodies developed, hidden away inside our mother's bodies. You ensured that each of us was unique and precious, with a place in your world nobody else could occupy. You have sustained us for weeks months and years, watching over us as we have grown physically and mentally, emotionally and spiritually, and you have loved us. God of today, you are with us in every moment of every day. You are with us when we discover new understandings and when we discard old ones. You are with us when we laugh out loud and when we sob uncontrollably. You are with us in the questioning and exploring, the learning and experiencing of what it means to be fully alive as human creatures. And you continue to love us. God of tomorrow, you will be with us when the future becomes the present. You will be with us if or when we achieve the dreams to which we aspire. You will be with us if or when our worst nightmares become reality. You will be with us as we face new challenges experience new joys and sorrows, discover new heights and depths of life in all its fullness, both now and as we slip from here to your eternal embrace. And you will always love us. God of all times, from whose sight nothing is hidden, from whose embrace nothing is excluded. We thank you for your promises and dare to trust, to hope that they are true. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The reading this morning comes from John 
Gospel of John, chapter 11, from verses 1 to 45. The death of Lazarus. A man named Lazarus, who lived in Bethany, was ill. Bethany was the town where Mary and her sister Martha lived. This Mary was the one who poured the perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. It was her brother, Lazarus, who was ill. The sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, your dear friend is ill. When Jesus heard it, he said, The final result of this illness will not be the death of Lazarus. This has happened in order to bring glory to God, and it will be the means by which the Son of God will receive glory. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he received the news that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to the disciples, Let us go back to Judea. Teacher, the disciples answered, Just a short time ago, the people there wanted to stone you, and you are planning, and are you planning to go back? Jesus said, A day has twelve hours, hasn't it? So whoever walks in broad daylight does not stumble, for they see the light of this world. But if they walk during the night, they stumble because they have no light. Jesus said this, and they added, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I... I'm sorry. Jesus said this and then added, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go and wake him up. The disciples answered, If he is asleep, Lord, he will get well. Jesus meant that Lazarus had died, but they thought he meant natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, but for your sake I am glad that I was not with him, so that you will believe. Let us go to him. Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us all go with the teacher, so that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been buried four days before. Bethany Bethany was less than three kilometers from Jerusalem, and many Judeans had come to see Martha and Mary to comfort them over their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, Lord, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask him for. Your brother will rise to life, Jesus told her. I know, she replied, that he will rise to life on the the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live, even though they die. And all those who live and believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she answered. I do believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And Martha said this. After Martha said this, she went back and called her sister, Mary, privately. The teacher is here, she told her, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and hurried out to meet him. Jesus had not yet arrived in the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The people who were in the house with Mary 
comforting her, followed her when they saw her get up and hurry out. They thought that she was going to the grave to weep there. Mary arrived where Jesus was, and as soon as she saw him, she fell at his feet. Lord, she said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw how the people who were with her were weeping also. His heart was touched, and he was deeply moved. Where have you buried him? he asked them. Come and see, Lord, they answered. Jesus wept. See how much he loved him, the people said. And some of them said, He gave sight to the blind man, didn't he? Could he not have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus moved once more. So deeply moved once more. Jesus went to the tomb, which was a cave with a stone placed at the entrance. Take the stone away, Jesus ordered. Martha, the dead man's sister, answered, There will be a bad smell, Lord. He has been buried four days. Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? They took the stone away. Jesus looked up and said, I thank you, Father, that you listened to me. I know that you always listen to me, but I say this for the sake of the people here so that they will believe that you sent me. After he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He came out, his hands and feet wrapped in grave clothes, and with a cloth round his face. Untie him, Jesus told them, and let him go. Many of the people who had come to visit Mary saw what Jesus did, and they believed in him. Amen. If you ask most Christians about Martha and Mary of Bethany, if you say, what's the stories of Martha and Mary? What they will respond with is an embroidered version of the story that Luke tells. John has two stories about Martha and Mary, and they offer us a very different perspective, which I'd like to suggest complements rather than contradicts Luke's. And today we're going to focus on the story of John 11 and three very different encounters with Jesus. Firstly, we meet Martha, traditionally believed to be the big sister. With her brother Lazarus critically ill, she sends messengers to Jesus, believing that the one who could make a lame man walk and give sight to a blind beggar, would surely come and help somebody who is described as his dear friend. But he didn't come. And her brother died. And still he didn't come as they held the funeral. And four long, sad days passed. And only then, when it was all too late, did he come. I wonder how she felt. Disappointed? Let down? Angry? Rejected? Jesus, it seemed, had time for random strangers... 
but not for her brother. However she felt, Martha hadn't entirely given up hope. Yet, even now, even when all she's ever been taught or experienced says it's impossible, she dares to believe that even now, Jesus could change things. Uh, the stories of the last few weeks, we've discovered that they have these um, complicated theological conversations. And we get one here. The morning Martha and the tardy Jesus discuss the concept of resurrection. Life after death and its form was a very important philosophical topic at the time. And it's something that goes through all the four Gospels. We hear about Sadducees who didn't believe in life after death and Pharisees who did and so on, all the questions and the, and the stories about life after death. And in a rather accelerated version of the earlier stories, Martha recognises Jesus and says, you're the Messiah, you're the chosen one of God. And then she goes home to send her sister Mary to see Jesus, who evidently is asking for her. I wonder what of ourselves we see in Martha. When have we experienced disappointment in Jesus or in God, who seem to delay in answering our prayers, and perhaps it becomes too late? What emotions have we experienced? Have we, like Martha, tried to draw together our experience and our theology? Have we, or could we, name Jesus as our Lord in such circumstances? We remain seated as we ponder and sing. The encounter with Mary is much shorter and it shows us a very different side of Jesus. Told by Martha that Jesus is asking for her, the distraught Mary gets up, followed by a whole host of weeping people and heads off to meet him. Unlike Martha's very straightforward, fact-based inquiry, Mary 
collapses at Jesus' feet in floods of tears. The words she speaks are identical to those of Martha. And yet the effect is totally different. Talking theology isn't going to help here. Jesus sees this woman who is devastated by the loss of her brother. And that cuts him to the quick. He too begins to weep. Tears roll down his cheeks. The reality of the death of this man, his friend, begins to hit home for him too. People he loves are mourning. This is no mere case study in divine power. This is human life in all its messiness. His delay has affected these people deeply. The bystanders are not very generous in their response. And frankly, why should they be? They're witnessing something that makes no sense. They've heard all about the blind man who Jesus healed, some random beggar by the roadside. But now he's standing weeping over a man he clearly cared about, but seemingly was unwilling to save from physical death. I wonder what of ourselves we see in Mary, the woman who pours out her heart to Jesus, to God. The woman whose pain is so overwhelming that rational conversational thought is just impossible. How does the impact on the seemingly careless or impotent Jesus strike us? Is it helpful to see him emotionally vulnerable, wounded, weeping? What might we want to say to him in similar circumstances? wiping the tears from his eyes, and with the words of the two sisters ringing in his ears, and aware of the onlookers' questions, Jesus orders that the stone be rolled back from the entrance to the tomb. The mention of four days is really significant. Not only will there be the inevitable decay of the body and a horrendous smell, But actually, in the understanding of those days, after three days, it was possible even for the gods, the Roman and Greek gods in those worldviews, 
to return someone to life. And that view had inveigled the Judaism of the time. It was all too late. Lazarus is dead. It would have been understood that his soul had left the body and that decay would have been well underway. And so what Jesus did was shocking at every possible level. Even if we take a 21st century rationalized position that Lazarus was not dead, but rather deeply comatose, which would have been possible. His encounter with Jesus is incredibly shocking. A number of years ago, I tried to write a reflection from the perspective of the dead Lazarus, called back from the stillness stillness of death to all the complexity of a life in which he would become an object of curiosity. Poets have explored the idea of him dragged back from the bliss of eternity, crossing a chasm back to earthly life. Interestingly, the opposite of his parabolic namesake in the Gospel of Luke. The fact is, however we read this story we're left wondering how it was for Lazarus, who utters not one word in the whole of Scripture, but who returns to consciousness to find himself tied up in a shroud, in a tomb, and a whole crowd gawping as he stumbles out into the daylight. I wonder if we have any experiences that have any echoes of that at all. Times when we have accepted that God is not going to grant our wish and actually this is how it's going to be. And then suddenly everything changes. I wonder if there have been times when Jesus has called us out from our own place of metaphorical death and given us another opportunity of life. I wonder if there have been times when we wish that God would just leave us alone. I wonder where we might put ourselves in this story. And so for the last time this Lent, we have an opportunity for some personal silent reflection on the readings, on the words that have been shared, a time to pray, a time to reflect, whatever it is that works for you. And I know some people have found it difficult um, and are probably secretly quite glad this is the last one. And I know other people have found it really helpful and I suspect some are everywhere in between.
But it's good sometimes to be a little bit outside of our comfort zone, outside of the familiar. So we have uh, an artwork which will appear on the screen. Some music to help us settle into the silence. And a poem and some questions for those who find them helpful. In our prayers this morning, we remember all who are suffering and all who accompany others in their suffering. Uh, During this prayer, I'll leave some short periods of silence and you're invited to bring to mind people that you know, whether personally or in the news, who are in need of our prayers today. So let us pray. Lord, We choose to call ourselves mortals, people who are dying, for we are all part of that inevitable process. But this morning we pray especially for those for whom death is imminent. Some may be fearful, some may be angry. Others will be haunted by issues unresolved, relationships unmended, tasks unfinished. Lord, it is very dark.
Lord, even in our darkest hour, you are there, waiting patiently for us in the darkness, ready to weep with us, to console and to comfort us, helping us to loose the cords of the mistakes that bind us, as we release the strands we hold of others' guilt and waiting to accompany us through death and onto that place which we cannot yet see but which you have prepared for us. Lord, we pray for all who care for the dying, whether at home or in hospital or hospice. For overworked doctors and nurses, anxious that the care they can give their patients will be compromised by scarce resources, by their own exhaustion or burnout. We pray for stressed family members, overwhelmed by the demands being made upon them and feeling impotent in the the face of pain or distress. Lord, it is very dark. Lord, even in our darkest hour, may we be strengthened by a sense of your loving presence with us, supporting and upholding us. For you alone can bring light and hope to the dark places of our lives. We pray for those who are grieving the loss of a parent a partner, a sister, a brother, a child, and who cannot imagine how life can go on without them. Lord, it is very dark. Lord, even in our darkest hour, help us to entrust our loved ones and ourselves into your care, who loves each one of us as if we were your only child. Help us to let go of the past and lead us on to new and unimagined life. We pray for those who grieve for the loss of hope. Those who have had to let go of the future they had imagined for themselves. 
because of redundancy or failure to gain the right qualifications, because of unforeseen injury or illness or the breakdown of a relationship. Lord, it is very dark. Lord, even in our darkest hour, help us to catch a glimpse of you, our companion in grief and sorrow. For only you, Lord, can turn our sorrow into joy, our anger into forgiveness and love. Lord, we choose to call ourselves mortals but help us to see that we are also natals, people who are being born, born to new life and new possibilities. For the night will end and the morning is coming. These things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our friend and brother, Our communion today is going to be a little bit different. Uh, Most of it will be conducted in silence. And rather than a lot of words, there are going to be some spaces for us to commune privately with God and each other. But to lead us into that, we're going to use a song, um, which I, in my naivety, thought the whole world knew, because I've known it since I was a boy. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he took his place with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to him one after another, Surely not, not I, Lord. He answered, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. 
Judas, who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. He replied, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Resurrection God, who breathes new life and new hope into seemingly hopeless situations, bless us with the courage we need to be real with you and with each other so that we may be refreshed, revived, and restored this day and all days.